Welcome to episode 51 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, the podcast where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And this week we have, joining us once again, Mr. Jim Radloff. Welcome back, Jim. Thank you for having me back. So the uh, story we're talking about now, you could argue, is actually three stories. It's a series of connected four-issue miniseries, really. They're referred to as the Deadpool Killogy as a group. We are looking at Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, written by Colin Bunn, with pencils and inks by Dalibor Talajic, whose name I hope I pronounced correctly, colored by Lee Lothridge, lettered by Joe Sabino, edited by Jordan D. White under senior editor Nick Lowe and editor-in-chief Axel Alonso, with cover dates December 2012, because all four issues came out from October 1st, 2012 to October 22nd, 2012. That started as a weekly series. While that story did have a complete beginning, middle, and end, it continues into Deadpool Illustrated, or Deadpool Classics Illustrated, however you like to refer to it. Also written by Colin Bunn, penciled by Matteo Loli, or Lolly, inked by Sean Parsons, colored by Veronica Gandini, lettered by Joe Sabino, edited by Jordan D. White under Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonso, cover dates March through June 2013, release dates January 23rd, 2013 to April 24th, 2013, and the series somewhat wrapped up, finally with Deadpool Kills Deadpool, written once again by Cullen Bunn, art by Salva Espin, colored again by Veronica Gandini, who also did Deadpool Kill Illustrated, lettered by Joe Sabino, edited by Jordan D. White and Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonso, cover dates ranging September to December 2013, release dates July 3rd, 2013 to October 30th, 2013. All right, so with that out of the way, we might as well get into the meat of the story itself. And what a bunch of meat there is. <laughs> yes, often being cleaved from the bone. Yeah. So the first one, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. It picks up on the conceit of Deadpool that he knows he's a comic book character and frequently talks to the reader. Only in this case, an alternate universe version of Deadpool realizes that everyone in his universe and around it are fictional characters, and it figures the only way to break them free from the chains of continuity that guide their actions is by killing them all, thereby freeing them from the acts of the writers. And he goes on a killing spree, killing virtually every character in the Marvel Universe. So they, they say he kills everyone. That Marvel has more characters than we see drawn on these pages, but he kills a lot of characters from the Marvel Universe in this one. Yeah, the first thing you see is the Watcher describing the chaos that's going on as the Baxter building is just in flames. Uh, there are chunks of the thing all around. Sue Storm is holding the melting form of Reed Richards. Johnny Storm crashes in a ship. Sue goes invisible. But when Deadpool stabs Johnny with his sword, the blood splatter reveals where Sue is. And she pops Deadpool's head. But go figure, he grows another one and kills her. And then from there, we get the background of how the X-Men captured Deadpool and handed him over to the Psycho Man. Not realizing he was a Psycho Man, yeah. And he tried to brainwash him to create an army of supervillain soldiers, but that backfired and Deadpool killed Psycho Man before lighting the entire hospital on fire, killing all of the other villains who were there, and then went on a killing spree across the Marvel Universe. Yeah, there's really very few survivors here. It actually ends with this universe's version of Deadpool coming into 
a parallel universe again, ostensibly ours, Earth 1218, although the official handbook gives it another label. And once there, he comes into a room with Jordan D. White, Dalibor Talajic, Axel Alonso, and Cullen Bunn. And, you know, they're talking about how they're going to end with this joke of Deadpool coming to kill them. And we see in the hallway, Deadpool's there and ready to kill them. And he also kind of makes a comment to the reader as he's putting a finger over his lips saying, okay, or hey, I see you out there watching. Don't worry, I'll be done with these Jokers and this universe before you know it. I'll find you soon enough. Like he's going to be slipping over into the real, real world. Yeah, which is, it's the plan. It's a nice joke to end on, but it actually also is a very nice setup for the next miniseries, which wasn't, it wasn't terribly obvious that it was a setup, but if I know Cullen Bunn and other writers like that, he would have ended it, given that all four issues came out in one month. They would not have had the sales numbers in by the time that these stories were turned in. So they would have had no idea if this is going to be picked up or received well enough to get a sequel at the time they were writing it. So I think it was one of those endings that could work as either a series or season finale kind of idea. Yep. And then it picks up in the next series with Deadpool Illustrated or Deadpool's Killing All the Classics. In which he's decided, well, the reason these guys keep coming back is because the seeds in the imagination are there and they're going to be recreated at different times. So his only option is to also eliminate the inspirations. So he starts going through all the classics, slaughtering Louisa May Alcott's Little Women, for example, and anyone else he can run across with flashes of who they inspired. Some of them are very obvious links to the characters, like when he's killing Moby Dick and brought aboard the Pequot, as he escapes the insides of a giant whale, he's carrying Pinocchio with him somehow and says, that doesn't seem right. And then he sees for a moment, Pinocchio becomes the vision. And then he goes back. But as he's slaughtering the crew of the Pequot, he sees Captain Ahab as General Thunderbolt Ross, which makes a lot of sense for him. But then you get all the way to the other end of the spectrum and you've got like you mentioned, the characters of Little Women, who are Electra, Mockingbird, She-Hulk, and Black Widow. And granted, I haven't read Little Women in a long time, but I do not see how those four match up to those characters. No, yeah, especially since several of them were created at other times with other incarnations. And the Black Widow in particular has gone through some massive changes, given that she was created as a villain before becoming a hero. Yeah, so some of these links are tenuous, and it's hard to tell how many of them are the actual inspirations on the creative side, and how many of them were just Cullen Bunn having fun with the readers going, you know, let's see if we can make them make that connection. Well, especially because two of the characters that they encounter, or that he encounters, are actually in canon of the Marvel Universe. Actually, technically three, because I believe Frankenstein's creature was actually, or has been, an opponent to the X-Men. In the past, I know I saw someone who was claiming to be his creature in Wolverine and the X-Men. Yeah, he actually had his own series in the 70s in the horror boom. He ended up mm. getting uh, collected in one of the essentials. And of course, Dracula is an actual character, although he looks nothing like the Dracula in here. I believe the official one is blonde, and he would end up dealing with Deadpool directly later. And the third one is actually the... I suppose protagonist, because he's the main agent of action working against this Deadpool, uh, Sherlock Holmes, who we mostly know for for being canon from his associate Destiny, a.k.a. Irene Adler. Yeah. 
The destiny from the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is Sir Doyle's own uh, Irene Adler. Yeah, so that one, there's definitely a connection there, although I don't recall any time when Holmes himself has appeared in the Marvel comic, but that could just be my own limited reading, having not read every issue they've ever published. Well, I believe she's depicted as being quite old when she deals with the X-Men because, you know, most of the Sherlock Holmes stories are set in the late... 19th century and destiny first appeared in the 1960s so it would make sense if she was quite an old woman by then yeah she would be but that's that's another thing that's kind of interested about the illustrated arc is that they do sort of blur the lines between not just between different story continuities but between fiction and reality because i know a couple of the characters they mention are not just having Marvel heroes or villains based on these characters, but sometimes these fictional characters are based on actual people. Mulan is, if I remember correctly, based on an actual historical woman from China. And I just know that if they had published this series about a year and a half later, she probably would have looked quite a bit like Agent May from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Obviously, some of the characters are pretty fictional. It, I wasn't quite clear whether... The character on the floor was supposed to be the narrator of the Raven or Edgar Allan Poe himself. Yeah, he he looked like Poe to me. Yeah, although that that story is very much about lost love, so Poe might have intended himself to be the narrator. But yeah, that part's not clear. The Deadpool Illustrated was probably my favorite of the three stories, but essentially, think League of Extraordinary Gentlemen versus Deadpool, just pulling yes. different literary characters. And with quite a bit more blood. And it also seemed like they would almost have set up two leagues of extraordinary gentlemen, because as I said, when Deadpool's about to kill Captain Ahab, they both go into the water, and Ahab is saved by Captain Nemo of the Nautilus. And I almost thought that they were going to be a part of Sherlock Holmes' group, but they ended up operating independently of that group with themselves and the Little Mermaid. So it, it it almost seemed like they could have made an even more impressive version of the league, especially considering I don't th- I don't think they actually had any crossover between the characters in the league and the characters of Killustrated since Nemo wasn't actually in the Killustrated quote unquote league. I actually was wondering if it was a deliberate choice to avoid the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen just to reduce the accusations that they were stealing from them partly because of the way Alan Moore tends to behave. But to me, the the biggest standout was that the Jekyll and Hyde combination was not included as a character, which is very much the inspiration for the Hulk. Yep. I mean, Stan Lee has flat out said he was inspired by a combination of Frankenstein, where the technology got away from him. So more Victor Frankenstein than Frankenstein's monster, and Jekyll and Hyde. Mm-hmm. So that just would have been picture perfect. So I would kept waiting for Jekyll and Hyde to show up, but when they didn't, I was wondering, did they leave it out just because he was part of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and they were trying to distance themselves from that property just to deliberately do their own thing? Yeah, the only part where I really felt that it looked like, in this entire series, where it looked like they might be taking a jab at somebody else, somebody else's work was in, um, I think it was actually in Deadpool Kills Deadpool, where they were talking about how he had gone and killed the characters who inspired heroes and you see what looks like Hawkeye behind 
a character in a green shirt with a bit of a green hat, but to me it didn't quite look like Robin Hood. It looked like a certain other archer from a certain competing company, shall we say. Ah, yeah, the one who was so clearly inspired by Batman. (laughs) But yeah, that's essentially it. And then the final one, Deadpool versus Deadpool. In that one, the 616 Deadpool is recruited by another Watcher, or another Universe's Watcher, to put a stop to this Deadpool, and we ended up with the Deadpool core. And we've talked about with Headpool and Lady Deadpool and Kidpool and Dogpool and a couple of new characters up against a whole bunch of other Deadpools, most of which were created for the first time for this, one of whom, the evil Deadpool, I believe is from the Daniel Way run. Yeah, they do even have a reference as they're fighting... 616 Deadpool is kicking him and saying, and this is for issue 49, and this is for... Yeah, I have to say I actually dropped the Daniel Way run shortly before that. So I knew the arc of evil Deadpool getting put together by the bits and pieces of Deadpool that he's lost over the years was Mm -hmm. coming from the solicits, but I haven't actually read them. So this is my first exposure to evil Deadpool. And I actually read this slightly before I read that part of the run, because for a while, for whatever reason, I was... might be skipping back a bit because I know we usually mention how we were introduced to these stories. I picked up the very first issue of Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe and then didn't get the next three until we decided to record this podcast. But I started picking up Killustrated and Deadpool Kills Deadpool regularly. But I was reading them, but not Deadpool at the time. So I had a stack of for about a year. I didn't read any new issues of Deadpool. And then I was like, you know, I should go back and actually pick up on those. Yeah, my first instruction to this was reading them on Marvel Digital Unlimited for this podcast. So I've actually read them all in the past week for the first time. So we've given the basic plot synopsis and how we were first introduced to it. When it comes to the continuity significance of this, or the significance, whether it's continuity, whether it's first appearances of characters, significant deaths or anything like that, I think the significance here is essentially entertainment value. The only thing it really did was take that Deadpool core that's been discussed in these podcasts before with, you know, your Headpools and Lady Deadpool and that that mm-hmm. group of characters and killed them off. It seems to just be trimming the line just down to the 616 Deadpool and the evil Deadpool and eliminate all the other alternate universe characters of him. And to a degree, it's also sort of a precursor to Spider-Verse and uh, sort of a, you know, you couldn't have known it now, but it's sort of a wrapping up a couple of bits leading into battle world where you know this this summer's event of secret wars where they're compressing all of the multiverse down into two and then finally planning on just having one marvel universe and just kind of at least being able to say well don't feel too bad about losing all of the other worlds versions of some of these characters because in a lot of worlds deadpool has killed everybody Mm -hmm. or Everybody has died in different ways, and at least Deadpool is dead in almost every other universe. Yeah, and now I believe he's dead in the 616. Yep, for now at least. He he does make a commentary on that almost about uh, when he's killing uh, Wolverine in uh, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, how you know Wolverine's power isn't regeneration, it's popularity. So he suspects that he wouldn't be able to stay permanently dead either. And I do kind of like how he gets creative with killing Wolverine. And Dakin and X-23 sets up Dakin and X-23 in a room that has uh, flamethrowers and sensors that tell when Dakin and X-23 are healed enough to be coming back to life and he can burn them again instantly. Yeah, he basically sets up perpetual killing machines for the the healing characters. 
until he takes the sword that, well, I, I haven't read the Daniel Way run, but apparently there is a sword from that run, and any wounds it causes are somehow, I don't know if it's magical or whatnot, but characters with healing abilities cannot heal from those wounds. Well, there's an uh, element, I believe, called carbonadium. It's it's a type of metal, is all I know. I don't know if it's an element or an alloy, but it's uh, carbonadium has for a while been a longer lasting kill effect on people with healing factors although i've only ever seen it used on wolverine otherwise i've seen it used by omega red i believe his uh tendrils are made of it but you know if you're getting skewered hard enough to get killed by omega red you're probably going to stay dead anyways and he's just probably not going to skewer you in the first place Mm -hmm. yeah i'll have a lot to say about wolverine's healing factor or rather, I had a lot to say about Wolverine's healing factor in the episode of Comic Book Physics that has already come out by the time people hear this, but hasn't been recorded by the time people hear this. <laughs> Podcasts have continuity issues, too. <laughs> yeah, it's all very timey-wimey when you're doing a 75-episode weekly show with various guests. Those are frequently recorded out of sequence, whereas the single-voice shows are recorded in sequence much more often. That's the story. and. I mean, looking at it, we often talk about what impact it had on the industry and on continuity. This didn't really have a lot. I mean, it, as you said, it's a predecessor for Spider-Verse. And the only lasting effect it had on continuity was to kill a bunch of characters that weren't really being used anyway. This is one of those ones to jump ahead to the end. This is on the list because it's a lot of fun and it's highly entertaining. It is its own thing. Prior to Spider-Verse, it didn't resemble anything out there. And it was published before Spider-Verse. So it was still unique at the time of publication. And I think that's what landed it there. It's just a lot of fun to read. It is. And it, it, it lets you just kind of play around with the ideas of some of these characters. And like I said, well, you said earlier about how there are a lot more characters than we see get killed. Part of the flip side is whenever you see miniseries like this, you get to see a lot of characters who you don't necessarily get to see a lot of in the main series just because even though there is so much going on there are still only so many issues to cover everybody like granted i don't read every series so i don't know he might be popping up and just not affecting the world but the puppet master this was actually when he appeared in deadpool kills marvel universe this was the first series where i had seen him because i knew he was in the fantastic four but i'd never seen him in any issues that i'd actually read Arcade doesn't pop up a whole lot. I think this was like right before or yeah, I think I think Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe was right before Avengers Arena. Mm-hmm. I believe so, too. Yeah, because uh, Deadpool Kills Deadpool. They make a reference to Arena. You know, they have the Intelligentsia pop up. Mm-hmm. Right? I think it's the Mad Thinker is it's either the Mad Thinker or the Tinkerer. And I'm pretty sure it's the Thinker. Yeah, it's the Thinker. And uh, just to confirm the first issue of Avengers Arena came out two months after the end of Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. Ah, so you know, like I said, I I always love to see the Mad Thinker. Um, he's I don't love him enough to track down every issue he's in, but I definitely loved seeing him in here. I loved seeing him in the Torch limited series that they made about. I can't remember if it was when they had just brought back Jim Hammond or if it was Toro, but they made it back in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah, the one with Alex Ross partnered with Dynamite. That sounds right, yeah. Where they established the society of underground androids that would later be revisited in Secret Avengers. Like I said, it's just a whole lot of 
very fun characters to look at, even if you're not just here for Deadpool, which let's be honest, most people are here for Deadpool. You get to enjoy seeing Taskmaster and Psycho Man, who is another one I had never seen in anything, you know, creative ways of fighting different heroes like he he puts kitty pride in sort of a combination hamster wheel hamster wheel mirror maze because he realizes he can't find a way to solidly kill her so he's just going to trap her forever and not really thinking about the fact that she can't maintain her phase state forever so eventually she'll solidify and she'll probably just end up doing so partway through a mirror and that's how she will be taken out yeah there's a lot of creative stuff in here and even bringing the Taskmaster in as the character that he goes up against. That was a very nice decision and a pretty nice choice to go through. And and having him, we didn't really mention this, but the way he gets, he initially gets from his Marvel Universe that where he's killing everybody to the multiverse where he is forcing the intelligentsia to work for him is he goes to the nexus of all realities. That's where he faces Taskmaster and he wins by frightening taskmaster and as we all know those who know fear burn at the touch of the man thing yeah it's it really shows to to quote more from the exiles i may be a total idiot but i'm not a moron that's deadpool he actually is a tactical genius even though he's a complete goofball and this really demonstrates that he does an excellent job of tearing through everything he, he does sort of feel like a very dark version of the comic book phil colson if anyone hasn't picked up uh, the first couple issues of S.H.I.E.L.D., I would suggest it. If you have picked it up, you know that the first issue, they talk about how Coulson's big deal is he knows pretty much every major super being in the Marvel Universe, what their powers are, and how he can get them to work together to quickly and efficiently complete a mission. Yeah, so... Take Coulson and his knowledge base and his tactical mind, but take away his ethics. That's the Deadpool we've got here. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, I don't know, this is one, this may end up being a fairly short podcast, even though there's 12 issues here, because there's not a lot to say beyond that. All we can really do now is just spoil plot points in a series that at least I'm going to recommend tracking down, because it is fun to read it, especially that middle chapter. Mm-hmm. Also, it would be fun to see just more people cosplay some of these alternate versions of Deadpool, because, like I said, we get to see Panda Pool, Galactus Pool, Beard of Bees Pool, Pulverine, who talks only in references to beer. Yeah, I also like the other characters that we see, because the alternate universe versions of these characters that he slaughters, some of those can be pretty fun as well. And as you said, he's come up with some creative ways to kill these guys. I mean, he cooked a Howard the Duck. Yep. You see, the, the body of a Howard the Duck served on a platter, cooked and basted. With, with his tie tied around his beak. <laughs> Yeah, so this, as I said, I don't know how much more we can say without spoiling a fun comic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what this is. It's it's three different series. Now, the really, the question is, you know, is there anything beyond the fun? You know, taking the, the piece of the podcast that I have shamelessly stolen from Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, which you should all be listening to, does this have any messages, morals, or meanings, right? Any ethical quandaries or any social messages that it's giving you? And it's... This is one, I don't know if it would, if it really counts as ethical questions. I mean, this is send a madman to catch a madman, effectively. It's wholesale slaughter on both sides of the fight. But I think the most interesting things that it comes up with are just more that the metafiction things. What if all fictional realities were part of the same multiverse and characters didn't hop between them like X-Men characters? What if these characters were 
actually able to do so and hop into other stories. So what if you could see, you know, Sherlock Holmes crossing over with Captain Nemo? There's a little bit of that to play with. But aside from that, I don't really see any other morals. I mean, I think Sherlock Holmes from the second that Deadpool Illustrated chapter is really the only clear hero here. He's the one that's taking a moral high ground. He actually saves the multiverse or the idea-verse that they call it. I think the Mad Thinker is sort of an anti-hero, too, just because he, he realizes that he's working for a bad guy, but he seems to realize right away that if he doesn't sort of guide Deadpool, he's going to get the help that he wants somewhere else, and he might have help from someone who isn't trying to sabotage him. So it is the Mad Thinker who sends a message to Sherlock Holmes to warn him about what is happening. Yeah, and it's and the Mad Thinker in this, he is still a villain. He's recruited by the villainous Illuminati. He's working with Egghead and a bunch of the other Marvel villains. But again, he seems to be motivated by, okay, this guy wants to destroy all of reality. I want to continue to exist. So let's do what we can to make sure that happens. As I said, he, he knows how to play Deadpool to buy himself the time to get those messages out there. Yeah. So yeah, there, there, a case could be made for that. But even then, when the Mad Thinker becomes one of your heroes, there's not really a lot of good guys in here. I mean, the 616 Deadpool has his heroic moments, but, you know, if you have a stack of cash and say, go kill the Pope, if the stack of cash is high enough, he'll say, sure. Yeah, he, he made the observation that, oh, uh, where where is everybody? Why am I the only one fighting Ultimatum? Because Captain America said, oh, an Ultimatum wouldn't be smart enough and dumb enough to attack on my watch. So where's Captain America? Oh, Infinity just started. Okay. Yeah, this issue, the first issue of Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe was released the week before the first issue of Infinity. So when he makes that comment in <laughs> at that time, that's where everything was. So I'm, I'm sure Cullen Bunn, who has done a lot of fill-in for tie-ins in various crossovers, yeah, Bunn knew the release schedule, and that's that was his excuse for why it was just Deadpool. Yeah, everyone else is over there! Well, this is when or Infinity was when Deadpool, Deadpool was even part of a team and not working with the team, because he was one of the Thunderbolts, and... The Punisher said, okay, a couple of us are going to go over here and kill mob bosses. Ross said, you know what? We've got an alien invasion going on. I'm going to go deal with that. And Deadpool was like, I want a slice of pizza. So he went off to find a slice of pizza and killed things on the way. So did you have any closing thoughts on these issues? Not really. I know a lot of the time we like to uh, discuss why the series and why this would la uh, land where it did on the countdown. I'd have to say this is kind of an interesting one just because... I'm actually surprised it popped up this high because it's not important to continuity. In fact, you can completely enjoy pretty much all of Deadpool continuity without it, pretty much any other series without it. It is, as you said, just a lot of fun. Better stories have been told since. It didn't really affect anything yet to my knowledge, other than taking out a bunch of characters that it itself introduced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, killing them in the Deadpool core. It, it it wasn't as relevant as stories that will come later, like Captain America number 25 or Civil War, but it was far less relevant than stories that came earlier, like World War Hulk. So it's, it's just kind of interesting to see it here. I just I guess it's just that it was so much fun to read that it got it got a very good reception. Yeah, that's. That's all I can come up with, too. Like we said, it, it is a lot of fun. Whether it's fun enough to land it at spot 51, my personal tastes, while I enjoyed it all, 
Uh, Deadpool Killstreak was the only chapter that I enjoyed enough that I would say, you know, maybe that one has a place on the list. Mm-hmm. If we're looking at them in isolation, I don't know if I would do that. So it depends, I guess, partly on how much of a Deadpool fan you are. Mm-hmm. Right. Because this is one of the most entertaining Deadpool stories, at least since he appeared in X-Men Origins Wolverine. And that does kind of give me the realization, just based on one of the episodes that we had much earlier, Next Wave, which I honestly thought Next Wave was a lot more fun than this. But Mm -hmm. since this was Deadpool and they basically gave him carte blanche to do whatever with Deadpool and this one alternate reality, uh, you could do whatever you wanted. You couldn't do whatever you wanted with the entire multiverse. You know, 616 goes by relatively unscathed. There's, like I said, one ultimatum robot that gets destroyed, but it was introduced here anyway. So. Yeah, like you said, if, if this is, if you read every appearance of Deadpool except these stories, you might still be wondering what happened to the Deadpool core. But I think that's about it. So it is just, it's here for fun. So if you're looking for a fun Deadpool story, go for this one. There's some, other ones earlier in the runs that we might recommend, I, I think part of the reason this one popped up so high on the list rather than the earlier ones is because Deadpool had a bit of a boom in his titles and popularity after X-Men War Origins Wolverine came out, in which Deadpool was, at least for some of us, essentially the sole redeeming factor. So, you know, the, the fan base that came in through the movies could be a part of the popularity of this series. And one, one thing that that I think might have something to do with this not positive, but might is, you know, we mentioned earlier, the two of us, you know, talking about, I think this was was actually before we recorded the podcast, we were talking about how the video game rights for the Hulk were tied up when they made the video games for the Marvel Ultimate Alliance, not Avengers Alliance, the Facebook games. These were console games. And it got me thinking about how, you know, they do have different companies with rights to different characters. And... You know, Marvel Studios kind of ramped up the the appeal, well, tries to ramp up the appeal of each of their characters before a movie comes out related to that character. But this kind of helps increase Deadpool's appeal after an X-Men movie, specifically one that most people consider one of the worst, if not the worst, because X-Men Origins, Wolverine and X3 are generally among the group I talk with considered the two worst of the X-Men movies. They might have been trying to increase the appeal of Deadpool to try to see if whenever they negotiate the price for future X-Men movie rights, if they could get a little bit more money out of the studio. It's it's a possibility, but actually the rights had already been sold. So Lauren Shuler Dollar bought the rights for Deadpool prior to X-Men Origin Wolverines. And insisted that he be part of it because she always wanted to see Deadpool spin off into his own film. So Fox has owned the Deadpool rights since before that. And it's finally happening for, I think it's February 2016 is the release date on that one. Yeah, I believe it's Valentine's Day weekend, if I saw it correctly. Yeah, because, you know, that worked out just so spectacular for the Ben Affleck Daredevil. Well, actually, it, it should. Regardless of what the critics and many fans say, that movie made money. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so I... I think that seems like it's about all we have to say about this. If you're looking for a fun Deadpool story, this is definitely one of them. And this one's kind of nice in that, you know, Deadpool is kind of known for being a character that references a lot of his own history and a lot of other issues. But he only really references 
one specific issue in this where he's kicking evil Deadpool and saying, and this is for issue 49. Yeah, it's there's not many characters in the Marvel Universe that could pull this story off where they realize they're comic book characters and move around. I mean, there's essentially Deadpool and She-Hulk, and I can't see a She-Hulk series based on this concept working as well. I mean, not compared to what, you know, what's been done with her through Dan Slott and Charles Sewell lately. It's just, it's the wrong tone for her. Yeah, so in any event, Jim, thank you for joining us once again. Thank you again for having me. And for those listening or reading along at home, next week we're going to be talking about Avengers number 57, the first appearance of the Vision, which has been published in Marvel Treasury Edition number 7, Marvel Super Action number 18, Avengers Ultron Unleashed number 1, Essential Avengers Volume 3, Vision Yesterday and Tomorrow, Marvel Visionaries Roy Thomas, Marvel Masterworks Volume 71, Avengers Volume 6, Marvel Digital Unlimited and Comixology, in addition to the back issue bins, where it's probably more expensive than even the Marvel Masterworks edition. So please feel free to rate this show and any other shows you listen to on iTunes and on Stitcher or to share the links with other people. You can check out our unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast forum on Facebook, which is a space for listeners to come in and join the conversation and talk about the issues that we have been talking about here. And thank you for listening. Hi, folks. Sean Ingle here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. And we're here to talk about the new direction going on over at Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Like our in-depth coverage of the Howard Chaykin pen, Guy Gorker, collateral damage. No, because that book was utter sh**. But we are moving into the Judd Winnick run on Green Lantern, where we'll get stories about psychotic ring wielders, teenage sexual identity issues, and Kyle becoming a nearly godlike bee. And yet, still not as weird as Guy Gardner's warrior face. Yeah, you may have a point there. Plus, we'll be covering the ancillary books that came out at the same time, including Circle of Fire, A Thousand and One Emerald Knights, The Black Circle Green Arrow Crossover, and so much more. Which will easily make up for not covering collateral damage. Also, if you're subscribing to the show via iTunes, be sure to go to Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys to make sure you get new episodes updated weekly. So, they kicked you off the main feed? No, they just streamlined it, so the Two True Freaks proper shows would only be on it. Are you sure it's not because Scott doesn't want a Green Lantern podcast on the network? Uh, no. In fact, he's spoken very glowingly about the show. I mean, he's even offered to come on into a guest bit. He said he really likes it, and despite his fact that he doesn't like Green Lantern all that much, he's come check out Just One of the Guys over at TwoTrueFreaks.com and subscribe in iTunes at Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys. You'll be glad you did, or double your money back.